Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my dear friends in Christ, from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. If you're just joining with us today, if you're out of town guests or this is your, your first time here, we are in the third week of a sermon series uh, covering the, the concept of the topic of generosity. And so this is the third and final week of this, but the first two weeks we, we talked about our attitudes about generosity. What, what is this generosity thing? How do we feel? Like, should we actually, as Christian people, live generously? And what does that really mean? Uh, then last week we said, okay, we probably should all live as generous people as Christians, acknowledging that everything that we have uh, comes from God. Anything that we have to be able to give comes to us from God. Right? That's what it means to be generous, is to acknowledge where all these things come from. So we talked about what are our motivations, and we, and we kind of described that we should live and receive God's gifts humbly and to give them humbly as well. But then today, now, we'll finally talk about our actions. What are some uh, generous actions that people can take? And so this is our, our goal for today. I told you over the last two weeks, some of what um, I've shared has been informed by this research study called the Generosity Gap. Today I'm going to share probably even more specifics than I have any of the other previous weeks, but there was a research study done, uh, Thrivent Financial, if you've heard of them, commissioned a group called Barna to do a research study on generosity. What are people's feelings about generosity? How do they live it out? And so I'll share, again, some statistics from here today. But one thing uh, in here is they ask people, what, what sort of generous actions do you do? Here's the top five list of uh, generous actions. Service. Emotional support, money, hospitality, and gifts. And those are actually uh, up there in order of, uh, Im of, of importance based on what, what people responded with. And, and all the respondents of this study, they're all Christian people, okay? So Christian people, first and foremost, said the most generous thing that they can do is, number one, service, then give emotional support, then give money, then hospitality, then gifts, when I look at this list, though, or I think, if you think real big picture about all of the ways that you can give generously, I believe it comes down really to two main things. Time and money. Right? If you think about it, time, time and money. Right? Because if you look at that list of the five things, the uh, service, emotional support, um, uh, th those things, service, emotional support, hospitality, to do any of those things usually means your time, right? If you're going to give somebody money or buy somebody a gift, you know, that takes money. So if you're going to boil it down, really, I think all of our generous actions come down to these two things, time and money. If I'm honest with you today, and I think if you're honest with me, I think all of us are pretty guarded about our time and our money. We're naturally guarded and protective of our time and money. We try to keep as much of it as we can and never quite ever think that we have enough of either one. We usually wish that there were more than 24 hours in a day and that we could plant a money tree in the front yard, right? I mean, it never seems like there's enough time or enough money. And when, it, when we do give of those things, we usually like to have some control over how those things are going to be given and to be used. It comes down, I believe, to time and money. Here's a question for you, though. Uh, do you think that time and money 
are mutually exclusive? Or do you think that they bear kind of the same equal weight and that you can interchange one for another? For example, members of a Christian church, do you think that you can substitute volunteering your time for uh, financially supporting the ministry of the church? Like, do you think those things are interchangeable? And, and that at any time, like, say, say you have 100% capacity to give between time and money. Do you think, like, at some points you could give 75% time and 25% money? And then if you, have more, if you give more money, then you decrease your volunteering? Does it, does it work like that for you? And I'm, I'm just wetting the whistle. I don't, I don't know what, you, what your perspective is here. But I do want to show you what the, what the research states. So I'm going to put a graph up on the screen but I need, to, I need to explain this. There's a lot of colors and numbers and people read these things different. People in the study, Christian people, were asked um, to respond to this statement. It's written at the top. It is okay for members to volunteer for their church instead of giving financially. All right, so think about that yourself. How would you respond? It is okay for members to volunteer for their church instead of giving financially. The row going across the top, that was Christian pastors who responded and how they responded. Blue is they strongly agree, uh, then some would agree, neither, some would disagree, strongly disagree. And then the bottom is how parishioners or Christian people responded that are not pastors. Do you see any startling differences here? It's, it's, it's rather interesting. Uh, pastors, 67% of pastors strongly disagree with that statement. All right? But Christian people, almost 50% of them, agree with the statement. Okay, so what does this tell us? Maybe you and I need to have a conversation. I don't, we're, we, we think about this a little bit differently. Now, why, what could be behind this? Why would this be? It's a little awkward for me to say this out loud because um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound greedy or anything. I, I just I want to think. I explain that I think pastors understand the weight of people's financial gifts, right? I mean, in, in all honesty, my livelihood and the way that I care for my family is dependent on <laughs> your financial gifts. So. If there are not financial gifts, I need to go get another job or another, like, go deliver pizzas or something to care for my family, right? And, it, and it's not just me, but your financial gifts support other people in this church as well who have dedicated their lives to the ministry of the church. Some of these people you know, some you don't. Marcus, Judy, Don, Barb, Jason, and, and a few others as well. And I'm not just talking about payroll and people. I'm talking about ministries and programs and, and lives being changed through your generosity. Gifts are given to people in need and lives are changed in the name of Christ. Like, I mean, I'm talking in a grand scheme and I think pastors understand where the financial gifts go and so we feel the weight of that, right? I think from maybe from a, a parishioner's perspective, um, you know, you, you just think about it differently. You, you think, well, we also need volunteers and, and people's time, and that's also true. I put this on the screen for you, and I say, huh, what's the answer? I don't know. So, I have a better idea for us. Let's open the Bible <laughs> and see what the scriptures have to say. Okay, uh, I mean, 
obviously we just have a different perspective on this thing, and so let's, let's have the conversation about it. But I do want to draw your attention to what the scriptures say about this generosity thing. Today, first, I want to look at the book of Numbers, chapter 18, verses 21 to 28. Uh, it was read for us today. It's the Old Testament lesson. And here, um, here's, the, here's the situation in the context. Uh, God's people in the Old Testament are in the wilderness between um, being led out of slavery in Egypt and entering the promised land. They're in this wilderness season for 40 years. In that time, God gives his commands to the people. He structures things and, and makes promises of how they should live and what they should do. The Ten Commandments are given at that point. If you remember your, your Bible history, at this point there are 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes, okay? 12 tribes. God, at this point, had um, promised each tribe a piece of land when they would get to the promised land as their inheritance. So each tribe was going to be able to have a piece of land when they get to the promised land as their inheritance to develop and live and pass on to their generations. One tribe, though, was not going to receive land for an inheritance. This is the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was not going to receive land. The tribe of Levi, their responsibility in the nation of Israel were, were to be, um, for lack of a better term, church workers. Okay? They, they took care of all the, 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 the stuff in the tabernacle. That was their portable temple. They took care of the sacrifices. They, these are priests, priestly kind of people. Um, they, they took care of the sacrifices. Uh, they moved the tabernacle around. Eventually, they would be in charge of the, the temple and all that stuff. Uh, when, they, when they landed in Jerusalem. And so what, what God instructs here is um, all of the other tribes, you know, they're farmers, they have jobs, they, they, they have an income, they make their own food. The Levites are solely dependent on all of these other people for their, for their, for their food, for their livelihood, for their income, all that stuff. So what God, the way that God set it up was that all of these other tribes are to give a tenth a tenth. Maybe you've heard that word tithe before. That word gets tossed around in churches. Um, you may or may not know that word tithe. The word tithe literally means a tenth, like 10%. So all of these tribes give 10% to the Levites to sustain their livelihood. But then the Levites are also commanded to give a tenth of what they receive to further on the ministry as well and to support the high priest. Okay, so they're supposed to give a tithe of a tithe. So it's this, uh, this structure where they give a tenth to the Levites who don't have any other income or anything, and then they're, they're going to give a tenth to the high priest. In some ways, um, this is the way that our, our church, and me personally, uh, that, that I've decided to kind of structure my life and livelihood as well, and we do as the church. Um, you know, out of your financial gifts, uh, last, last week I mentioned two things uh, one, I mentioned that when you give a financial gift here, before we do anything for ourselves, we give 10% to ministries outside of the church here. So we, tithe, we give a, a tithe of your, uh, of your gifts to outside ministries. Uh, personally, my wife and I have made that commitment as well, that we give a, tenth, a tithe of what we receive to further on the ministry of the church. I tell you that because when you give a financial offering, it's multiplied many times over, okay, to further the ministry of the church even outside of these walls. At this point, if I were sitting in your seats, I would be asking myself a couple of questions. And maybe you've asked these questions before, but I, I think perhaps maybe some of these things are rattling in your minds. Uh, maybe you're thinking like this. Is this 
um, tithe thing, this giving 10%, uh, is, is that still a, a biblical mandate? It, like, do I still have to give 10%? Uh, and, and, and if I do, should it be pre-tax or post-tax? Right? No, you know, you don't, we're not worried about that, right? Uh, pre-tax or post-tax, a lot of people wonder that. And some other people, I've had this question before, they, they say, okay, should I, should I give a tenth of my income to the church first, and then if I want to support other ministries, that would be above and beyond the 10%? Or do I take 10% of my overall income, and I'm going to give that to other people, and, and the church is one of those percentage points in that 10%. Those are all wonderful questions. Again, here's, here's, here's actually what, I would, what I'd say to you. If you are thinking like that, or if you're concerned about any of those things, you probably are, by far, in the minority of all people. I want to show you what I consider a kind of rather staggering statistic. Put this up on the screen. Here is the percentage of U.S. adults who report, this is self-reported, so you would actually, usually when things are self-reported, people speak more highly of themselves. Um, so it's a self-report on if, if you give 10% or more of your income. And this is by, by generation. So the red column, these are millennials, down the bottom, millennials were people who were born between 1982-ish and 2000. The next column over, that dark blue are Gen Xers. They're born between 1964 and 1982. Boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. And elders are born before 1946. But here's the thing. People were asked, do you give 10% um, of your income to a church? Or do you give 10% of your income to a charity? Or do you not give 10% of your income? Millennials? 1% of the millennial population reports that they give 10% of their income to a church. If you follow that row across, 2% of Gen Xers say they give 10% to a church. Boomers, 3%. Elders, 7%. These are Christian people, okay? So Christians actually self-reportedly give, give more to nonprofits. 3% say they give uh, 10% to a charity, 4% to a charity. But that last line... Um, it's kind of a staggering statistic. The vast, 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 vast majority of people um, don't give 10% of their income away. So they'll hold on to it for themselves. There's a great disparity um, in financial giving. So this is for the 10% thing. So maybe you're wondering, how much do people actually generally give? On average, uh, in, in America, self-reporting, people give somewhere between 3 to 4% of their income to either a charity or a church, 3 to 4%. But if you stretch the numbers out, um, it's actually, that, that number is skewed because there are a whole lot of people who give far less than that and a lot of people who actually give uh, quite significantly more. So it just brings that average right to 3 or 4%. Now why is this? I, you know, I think it's probably because uh, our, our priorities are different when it comes to financial generosity, and it could be because of this next piece of research. Uh, one in ten Christians say this, that serving God with my money is my number one financial priority. Okay, so if I were to, there's a Christian people, so if I took ten of you, only one of you would say, um, serving God with my money is my ultimate financial goal in my life. 
Okay? If you were to rank these things, uh, that, that statement, serving God with my money, ranks number six after these things. Provide for my family, support the lifestyle that I want, meet my obligations and needs, be content, give charitably, and it ranks above establish a financial legacy, be debt-free, and show my talent or hard work. Okay. Again, let me, I, I, I want to put myself in your shoes. Um, because if, if I were sitting where you were, I'd, I'd be thinking to myself, okay, pastor, what's the deal? You, you want me to give more money? <laughs> okay. No, not necessarily. Seriously, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I, I, don't, I don't believe that, that we can classify generosity based on amounts. Okay? We, 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 we can't base it on amounts. But I do believe what we're dealing with here is a spiritual issue. I believe that generosity is a spiritual issue about how we value these things, time and money. Right? Do we believe that God is the giver of time, that he is the creator of time? Do we believe that creation story where it says God uh, created the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night? Do we believe that God created time and he's outside of time and time is a gift to us? Time to be awake and work and time to sleep? Do we believe that God gave us time? That he's given us enough time to be able to handle what he's given to us and to also rest appropriately? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has given to us financial gifts to be able to give to him and respond to his, his work um, and to give generously and to support uh, the, the needs of people? Do we believe that God is the giver of these things? Or do we believe that, that somehow we created these things for ourselves and that we can determine uh, how we're going to use them in the way that pleases us best? I think those are things for us to consider as Christian people, and I am no different than you in that consideration. Let me tell you that again. I'm no different than you in that consideration. But I do want to look at one other Bible passage today that I think smooths this out and gives us a little bit more context, and that's the epistle lesson today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You can take that down off the screen, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Here we are in the New Testament. You can just put a black screen up, Ben. Here we are in the New Testament. In the New Testament, um, in the book of Corinth, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Okay? The city of Corinth is in where modern-day Greece is now. And this is after Jesus and everything. So Paul is a long, 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 long ways in time and space from the desert situation uh, of, of the Old Testament lesson. Um, that whole biblical mandate of the Levite or the, the tribes giving to the Levites a tenth of a tenth, that biblical mandate doesn't really apply to the situation in Corinth at all. It's a totally different context. But Paul is still very clear here in this situation that he is asking the church in Corinth to financially support him and the other workers of the ministry as they travel around and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Okay? And so what Paul writes to them is this. And here's the cool thing. He does not mandate to them any amounts. He doesn't tell them how much they ought to give. What does he say? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For what? God loves a cheerful giver. I like that. I like that. Right? Paul just says to them, you know what? I'm not going to guilt you into giving. I'm not, I'm not going to compulse you. I'm not going to offer you a, a, a good deal. I, I, just 
support us, you know, and, and however you do it, I pray that, that when you do, that you are cheerful about it. Whatever your heart decides, do that. But Paul is pretty clear. He doesn't want people's hearts to, to be questioning. And so how can one's heart make a decision in which it can be cheerful about its generosity? He goes on. In verse 8, he says this, And God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me say that again. And I want to emphasize a word here. God is able to make all grace, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All, 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 all that you need comes from him. All that you have to give comes from him. When at all times, for what purpose that his grace may be sufficient for you? And Paul says that elsewhere in the scriptures where he says, I pray that the grace of God is sufficient for you. All grace, all sufficiency, when, at all times, where, at all places. Why? So that you can give in every good work, knowing that Jesus Christ has your eternity in his hands. My dear friends in Christ, your eternity is paid for. Your debt is paid for. You are debt-free already. Forgiveness is yours because Jesus lives, and he's coming back to make all things new, and all things that you have in this life come from the giver of all things. My friends, I pray that above all things in this life that you can experience the contentment of Jesus Christ. I think that so many people are searching for this contentment in life. And we look for it in our time and our money. I, I, I am guilty of that as well. But my friends, I pray that you hear that you can be content in any and all circumstances because Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Here's what I want to do for you. I want to I pray for you. I want to pray that God would work on your heart. As the Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Corinth, I want to encourage you. And I pray, my prayer in this generosity series, if, you know, if you're just joining us uh, today, if you haven't been here before, we don't, we don't really talk about financial giving much at all. You can ask the people who are here. We don't talk about this stuff much. But I, I think it's important. I think it's important to share some of this stuff and to teach you what the scriptures say. So my prayer in all of this has been to teach you, to open the scriptures before us, and that we can mutually encourage one another. So here's my prayer. If, if you're hearing this stuff about generosity if it's financial generosity and, and you hear uh, God's word speaking into your life saying, man, I could, I could give more. I don't, I don't see why not. I would encourage you to listen to God's word in that, in that situation and respond. Or maybe, I, I've seen this before where people are ready and willing to give financially all the time, but to open their home or to volunteer their time, sometimes that's a difficult thing for people. So if that's you, I pray that, that you would listen to God's word and if you, if you feel compelled to act in that way, to respond accordingly as well. I say that that's my prayer for you, but it's more than just me saying that. Let me actually pray that prayer on your behalf now. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, today for supplying us with all the grace that is necessary. Uh, you give us all this grace, Lord, <laughs> and we can't even fathom your grace. We can't fathom that you would love us uh, in such a perfect way, giving up everything so that we can have everything now and for all of eternity.
I pray, Lord, that you would be with us, your people, that we would hear your word and that we'd respond cheerfully in whatever ways that you've uniquely gifted us to do that. If it be finances, let that be. If it be time, let that be. If it be hospitality or emotional support, Lord, let us, let us respond. Let us see our neighbors in need and, uh, and, and give generously, knowing that in all times, at all places, you are God. You rule and you reign now and forever. Lord, let our lives uh, be united to your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, when we gather together, uh, it's going to be Reformation Sunday. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So normally we just kind of do one Reformation Sunday. Uh, We're going to extend this out into four weeks under the theme, it's still all about Jesus. So next week, it's going to just be that. It's still all about Jesus. And then the subsequent weeks, that's Luther's uh, seal. But we're going to talk about these three... uh, solas, we call them. It's a Latin word that means alone. Uh, But grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. And we'll take one of those week by week until we get to the season of Advent. All right? God's blessings to all of you, my friends in Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.